Greetings in the Lord Jesus. Looks like we're kind of back to where we were a few months ago, doesn't it? Okay. You can turn with me to Isaiah 61. We'll start there. This is the second week in a row that I've had a baptism postponed. We were planning one last Sunday at Raleigh, and because of the snow, we decided to postpone it, though we did go for the service. <coughs> that time, I had a little more time to change my sermon. This time, I... Uh, had a little less time, so I was hunting for something that I had that I hadn't preached at Strasburg, and there aren't a lot of those from the recent past, but I did find this one from about a year ago that I preached at uh, Winter Bible School up at uh, Mount Olive and Row. And so it was a title that was assigned to me, The Anabaptist View of Salvation. <clears throat> probably one reason I didn't preach it to you all was because everything in here I've said before probably to you. but. So you'll get it again. <clears throat> but I want to start here in the Gospel of Isaiah, chapter 61. Just notice, of course, Jesus read the first couple of verses himself in Nazareth one day. But just notice the Gospel in here and the purpose of it all. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build up the old wastes, they shall raise up the former desolations, they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the nations, and in their glory shall you boast yourselves. I think probably the thing that really caught my eye when I read that was the last phrase in verse 3, that he might be glorified. That's what the gospel is all about. Well, okay, the Anabaptist view of salvation. You ask a Christian today, uh, somebody out there, a uh, well, most Christian today what salvation is and, and he'll probably explain it by or how to be saved he would might explain it by something like the means of the uh, Romans road to salvation or some similar plan the basic idea goes like this man is a sinner he cannot save himself God is holy and just he must punish sin but he loves us and wants to save us so to get out of this predicament of must punish sin, yet wants to save us. Does God ever get a predicament? Oh well. God came up with the plan of salvation. He sent Jesus, the perfect God-man, to take the penalty for our sin, making it possible for God's justice and wrath to be appeased so that he could forgive and save us and take us to heaven. God offers this salvation to us entirely free. All we have to do, all we can do, is believe. I've actually presented the gospel fairly similarly to that in my time. 
But you won't find anything like that in the writing of the earliest Anabaptists. In fact, you don't find anything quite like that in the Bible. It wasn't the way they preached the gospel. When the Anabaptists started preaching and the faith started spreading like wildfire in spite of persecution, that was not the gospel they preached, at least not that way. <clears throat> it didn't even sound like it. <laughs> I gave you my testimony a while back. I was supposed to talk about the essence of Anabaptism in five minutes, and I did that. The new birth was one of them, living holy lives, living together under the rule of Christ in the brotherhood, a transformed life that glorifies Jesus Christ, individual lives, church life based on the scripture, uh, telling the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, all of that is part of what we call Anabaptism. It was part of it. It still should be, by the way. Living our lives for his glory, that he might be glorified. Now, I'm not going to give you that five-minute presentation again, but let's go on and talk about some other Gospels. There are a number of them around, and I have four that I'll mention. There is faith alone, it's what I call the one. There is grace alone. There is salvation through sacrament. And there is formalism, or actually I put formal Anabaptism there. <clears throat> okay, faith alone, this is one point Calvinism, the uh, everyday garden variety of Calvinism, I guess we could say. And a lot of the evangelicals out there pretty much are, are in this one, that outline I just gave you. And then you add at the end, once saved, always saved. If you uh, once profess Christ, you cannot be lost. And I've told you before about the young man we met in Guatemala who, who believed that. He just said... Uh, there was this time that uh, I was ready to commit suicide and the Lord sent somebody and, and he saved me and I know he won't go back on that. It didn't seem to matter to him that he was a flirt, that it was quite obvious that if he could have crawled in bed with that girl, he would have, and you know, that, he just, he wasn't living a saved life. But he was quite certain he was saved. And those folks typically say, we're saved by faith alone. Works, good works, a good lifestyle, uh, living for the Lord has nothing to do with it. For them, salvation tends to be that one-time experience. I trusted in Jesus. I'm good to go. So I call that one-point Calvinism, <laughs> faith alone. There's a five-point Calvinism out there, too. This is what we often call reform doctrine. This is the, all five of the points working together. They, they teach that God is sovereign, and they define sovereign in a, in a very narrow way. In his sovereignty, he does it all. 
If man did any of it, he couldn't be sovereign, they say. He, cho he chooses who to save, who to damn. Has nothing to do with our choice or with our lives. It's all about God's grace. I find it difficult to uh, find God choosing to damn people and calling that grace. But anyway, some of those, like the uh, early Puritans in New England, thought that a holy life was evidence that you were among the elect, that you were among those who were chosen to be saved. And some of them spent their entire lives worrying about whether they were actually elect or not, too. But that's grace alone. It's all by grace. Nothing we do, nothing we can do. In fact, the, the true five-point Calvinists doesn't even save you by faith. He says God does something in you first to give you the faith so you can be saved. So anyway. Then there's salvation through sacraments. Of course, we would think of Catholics and this probably first of all, though there would be others. And they tend to use a lot of the same terminology that we use, but they usually give them different meanings. I still remember a conversation we had with one who said he was saved by the merits of Jesus Christ. Okay, I am too. Well, what did he mean by the merits of Jesus Christ? <laughs> well, maybe it had more to do with how you get those merits. For them, grace, the, the gifts of God, the, the merits of Christ come through the sacraments, which are controlled by the church, specifically by the priests. And so... Uh, it begins with baptism. That's where salvation begins. It continues later with confirmation, attending mass, taking part of the, the mass, what they call the communion, confession to a priest, doing the required penance, uh, the last rites, those kind of things. If you faithfully do those things and you uh, say you're Hail Marys and Our Fathers enough and, and those kind of things, then you can be confident of dying, quote, in grace. But since no one, or hardly anyone, a few saints, the Lord Jesus himself and a few saints, uh, live good enough to go directly to heaven, there's going to be a time of purifying fire in purgatory. Some of our modern Mennonites are moving a little more toward sacraments, this thing of seeing, say, the Lord's Supper, baptism as conveying some kind of saving grace. We need to be careful. Then there's formalism, and or formal anabaptism, if you like. Salvation through keeping the forms instead of having the content that supports the form. And this is a something we need to watch for. Any any disciplined church, any church with standards, needs to watch out. It's easy to change our focus from Christ to something else. The devil's trying to get us to do it all the time. And so these good Bible-based applications can become our trust. We can put our trust in, well, we... We're non-conformed. Uh, we don't do this, and we don't do that, and we do do this, and, and so we're okay. 
No, that's not where it's at. <laughs> There's going to be some things we don't do, and some things we do do, and some nonconformity that we will have, but th that those are not salvation. We need to be careful. The focus in all of those is not that he might be glorified. It's that I might be saved. And there's a fair difference in that focus. <laughs> Get the glory. That's what I want. And you may have heard some people say, well, I don't care about the rewards. I just want to get inside the door. You're not going to get there that way if that's your attitude. That he might be glorified. Salvation is not about us. It's about God receiving glory through us. It's about us bearing fruit. And we'll read a little passage or two after a while. Well, let's talk about the Anabaptist view of salvation. They were concerned with the New Testament, so it, it stands to reason that the, quote, Anabaptist view would also be the, quote, biblical view. And our view had better be a biblical one. Those other views all tend to focus on something, faith, the sovereignty of God, sovereign grace, they call it, the sacraments, forms. What did Anabaptism focus on? What should we as biblicists focus on? So let's go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3. Let's start with John the Baptist preaching. Matthew chapter 3, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what did John the Baptist preach? <laughs> Who did John the Baptist preach? Might be a better question. He preached the king. How to prepare? Repent. Turn around. Is that the way you entered the kingdom? Repenting and turning around and going the opposite direction. That's the way I got there. And following the king. What did Jesus preach? Go to the next chapter. 417. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom. Well, who is the king? How do people relate to kings, by the way? Well, you just read the next few verses and it will tell you. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father, and followed him. Now, I remember when I was asked to preach this sermon that uh, the brother that asked me gave me this title, The Anabaptist View of Salvation. And I noticed when the program came, it was a different title, The Anabaptist View of Salvation Slash Discipleship. And I said, yes, that's it. They got it. They got it right. 
That's the Anabaptist view. It wasn't just getting to heaven. It was something more. So anyway, I told them about it when I got there. Salvation is living one way. Damnation is living another way. It's not an event. It's a lifestyle. I've told you that many a time. I'll probably tell you some more. <laughs> it's a life, not just an event. It's not just a beginning. It's a continuing Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. There's no outline there of how to get to heaven, how to be saved, or the plan of salvation. It's a blueprint for life, a blueprint for living. Chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 are foundational to the view. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight, narrow is the gate, narrow is the way. Well, straight there means restricted. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth into life, and few there be that find it. There are two ways. We're either on one or the other. And it doesn't matter whether one time back there you confessed Christ or not. The way you're on does matter. We must choose. So we talk about a two-kingdom concept sometimes. Yes, we do, but it's deeper than that. It's two kings, Christ or the other one. And pretty often he wears the guise of self, by the way. So is the Anabaptist view of the church primarily a, of quote, kingdom view? Well, maybe, but I think I would prefer saying they focused on the king. The king. It's not whether I've got the kingdom view or not. It's do I have the king? Not a king as the world views them. Somebody who's far away and above us and you'll never get to see him except when you go to Buckingham Palace at the right time and all of that. I guess it's the queen right now, but anyway. This is, make sure I've got the right paper in the right order here. <laughs> this is someone we know. This is someone who said, follow me. Be with me. Be my disciple. Spend time with me. Learn of me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. And that's what these men did that just up and left their nets that day. They went and they spent the next couple of years, maybe three, we don't know exactly, going with Jesus and learning of him, listening to him and obeying him and trying out what he told them to do, doubting him sometimes. And Well, anyway, Jesus also said, This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent, that they might know thee. So if you went through last week, yesterday, and never spoke to your king, your lord, your elder brother, if you never opened his book, you never listened to him speak to you, there's reason to doubt that you're in his way, that you are his disciple. 
because you're not with him. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. This is what salvation is about. Paul says in verse 4, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, in being a Jew, if other man think, thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, for Christ, for the cross, for suffering, for death to self. Well, let's keep reading. Yea, doubtless, and I continue to count, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Are those three separate things? <laughs> Do they all happen at once? I think they probably are wrapped into one package. Verse 12, not as though I'd already attained. So here's Brother Paul nearing the end of his life, setting in jail. He's preached the gospel all over Asia and into Europe. But he says, I haven't yet attained. I'm not yet perfect. I follow after. I'm still in the way. If that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So I've got lots of successes back there. I've got lots of failures back there. I don't focus on them. <laughs> and when he says he forgets them, I don't think he means uh, he ignores them either. I think he probably learned from them. But... I'm not going to let them hold me back. I'm going to keep pressing on. That's salvation. <laughs> let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if any other thing, anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. It's okay if you disagree with me, Paul says, but better be open to the Lord. He has some things to teach you yet. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. And furthermore, brethren, be followers together of me. Be fellow imitators of me, and mark them which walk 
So as you have us for an example, learn from others and, and be disciples with them and follow their examples too. That's salvation because our end, our citizenship, if you skip over the parentheses, is in heaven. And the Lord's going to come and complete it one of these days. But we are saved now. We're walking in salvation. That's the Anabaptist view of salvation. If you and I are walking in obedience to God, if we are taking up our cross and following him, walking with the Lord Jesus, then we can have confidence that we're in the salvation way. So when someone says, are you saved or are you lost? It's okay to say, I am being saved. <laughs> we're not talking about necessarily just positions. We're talking about direction. Salvation is a directional thing. So we've chosen to die with Christ in baptism. We are raised again to new life. We've committed ourselves to knowing and following the Lord Jesus. And as long as we are living out that commitment, we are, quote, saved. <laughs> when we fail, and sometimes we do, when we realize we've turned off, we've veered toward self, most likely, the choice is ours again. Will I repent and get back in the way? Yes, I will. By the grace of God, I will. I'll confess, repent, and I'll turn around and come back. Does that mean I was lost in those moments that I veered off toward self? Not necessarily. But if I refuse to repent, if I keep going, yes, I will end up in the wrong way. And I don't know, we don't know how God does, determines all of that, but I don't, I know God doesn't just cast us off because, well, I, I sinned and then I repented later, whatever. But to start the wrong way is directional. And if we keep going, we will be on the wrong way. It takes a little while to make that U-turn. Maybe that's the way to uh, describe it. Salvation is not an event back there only. Salvation is not an event back there and a destiny only. It's the event, the new birth. It's the eternal life that is already at work in us that we live now. It is the road that we travel to get there. It is the glory at the end too. And if we choose self and we choose sin, we can't claim to be on that road. So I was thinking about those other Gospels, faith alone, grace alone, sacraments, form. Faith? <laughs> well, yes, certainly it takes faith. Grace? Definitely. It's God's grace. Sacraments? Well... No, not the way they think about them. Those sacraments in themselves don't confer grace on us. There's grace in, in, in partaking of the ordinances, but it's not a nothing in the ordinances, in, in the forms or the materials themselves. 
Form? Well, yes, there needs to be some form. Content always has form. Without the form, there's no content. You take a balloon and fill it with helium, and you have the form. You pop the balloon, the form goes away, because the helium went away, too. So yes, form is part of it. Salvation is a life, just as being lost is life outside of Christ. It's life in Christ, and it's Christ in us. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's read John 15 yet. A little of it. Maybe we'll kind of come back to Isaiah 63.1 in there, in this place. Or 61.3. John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. So you would think that the purpose of a vine is to bear fruit from that, wouldn't you? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges or cleanses it, that it may be bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. You've got to stay in me and me in you. When that happens, you can bear fruit. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Or the margin says, severed from me you can do nothing. And we know how that is. You lop the branch off the tree, you're not getting any apples off that branch. You lop the branch off the vine, you won't get any grapes. If a man Abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. And I continually find verse 7 a challenge in the light of verse 8 you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you my father is glorified when you bear fruit and those two I think are tied very closely together and they have to be as the father hath loved me so have I loved you abide ye in my love if you keep my commandments you shall abide in my love even as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might abide in you. It's the same word in the Greek. That's why I'm changing it as I go. That your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And you can keep going. We'll stop. This is life eternal, to live knowing Loving, rejoicing in, loving to obey, living for, following the Lord Jesus. Herein is my Father glorified. So what drives our choices anyway? 
what drives our lifestyle, whether it's the choice of a job, whether it's the stuff we buy, the phone or the car or the furnishings or the stuff you wear or what you say or what you think, how you respond to others, how you relate to authorities, how you do your work, what you look at, what you care about. If we're saved, if we are, quote, saved, that is, if we are Christ's disciple living to glorify God, then we'll be thinking about those choices, all of them. We won't let even the small ones go by without thinking about them in the light of the king. What does the king want? Or maybe last Sunday's sermon, how can I make God's eyes sparkle? I didn't hear it, by the way. I just heard about it. <laughs> was that last Sunday? It was last Sunday, right? Okay. <clears throat> and we'll love it that way. Don't you just love to make God's eyes sparkle? If you rarely think about your choices, if you're just living and doing what everyone else is doing, whether they're good Mennonites or not, We still don't have the proper concept of salvation, and we don't have any real basis to claim salvation. We need to repent. We need to turn around and get back to square one and knowing and loving and walking with and abiding in the Lord Jesus. Then, then we're on the road to glory. Then our lives glorify the Lord Jesus. And there's always that option to repent. Oh, I think sometimes it gets to the point where people pass the option. They don't have the chance anymore. But while we're alive and breathing and in this world, I think we can say it's there. We can choose it. So the Anabaptist view of salvation, I summed it up here at the end with one verse, 1 John 2, 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself so to walk even as he walked. For his disciples. Let's have a song.